getting back to health and doing better. So if you would turn uh, to the scriptures uh, to Acts chapter 10 today, Acts chapter 10. I want to review a couple of things that we talked about last week. We're kind of in a series that we're just calling the gospel. And, and the reason why we're, we're calling the gospel and the reason why we want to start there in the first uh, several weeks of being together as a church is because we believe that that is the central part of why we do what we do and who we are. So as a church, we have a vision. And again, this is not a corporation and uh, this is not a company. We don't put a vision out there to, in order to drive product or to try to uh, create an outcome that we want. This is a church. We are uh, led by God to do this. This is something that is eternal and is real, and it's the most important thing in our life. However, uh, we have a vision that is centered on God, and we say that our vision is also centered on the gospel. So if we say we want to be a gospel-centered church in the city and for the city, which means that we are in our city, we are in our neighborhood, we are in where we live, that's where we're ministering. We're doing life there, we're working there, we're living there. Some of you drive from different parts, and that's okay, um, but we want to ask God to use this church and this particular group of believers to have an impact in the city that they live. Um, again, Columbia and the expansion of West Columbia is a big place, and, and there are a lot of people that live here. So therefore, God, we need a lot of people who will be committed to being in their area and in their city telling people about Jesus and spreading his love and spreading his compassion and his grace to people so that their lives can be changed and therefore our city can be changed. We said we want to be for the city because we don't just want to be another church. Guys, there's tons of them. We don't just want to be a, another church in the area that kind of sits and collects a tax break and, and, and kind of just does church and does our thing. We truly, because we're gospel-centered and because we want to be centered on Christ and his mission, we want to live in our city, but we just don't want to live and exist there. We want to have an effect there for all of eternity. So that's why we say we are for this city, because we believe the only thing that will change culture, change society, change families, change lives, change marriages and individuals is Christ. And so if we believe that, and, and, if, and if you've had your life changed by Christ, how could you not believe that? Because you, you've experienced it. You know what he's done for you. And, and if he's done that in your family, even more so. And you know how the effect it's had on you. And you want to see that replicated in other people's lives and in your city so that it can change. So that's how societies truly change. We can put band-aids on things and we can try programs and we can try uh, government subsidies and we can try all these things all we want. But at the end of the day, the human heart has to be changed by God, by his creator, by the one who, who sent his son through love and died for us. That's what changes things. And so we really want to be a church that just doesn't play church. We don't want to be a church that just exists. We want to be in our city, but through the gospel for our city to see it change. I said last week that we don't want to set up and then ask Columbia to help us build a great church. We want to set up and we want to ask God to use us to make Columbia the city of God. And so that it will fall down and, and worship him and that things in this city and in this environment will change. So when we say we want to be gospel-centered, we had to kind of define what that means. Because the word gospel kind of gets a little, a little uh, misdefined, a little bit misapplied. Sometimes people don't know what it means. I know when I first became a Christian, I didn't really know what that means. I thought the, the gospel was the first four gospels uh, in, in the New Testament. I thought it, and then I thought it was the whole of the Bible. And then I thought it was Jesus. And then as you hear it applied, you hear people applying it in that way, saying, hey, I want to know the gospel more, or I want the gospel to change my life. And the gospel 
is life-changing. But at the end of the day, the gospel is not Jesus. It is about Jesus. And the gospel is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uh, has its own power through being one of the Godhead of the Trinity, which is a really deep concept that we're not going to get into today. But the gospel is actually an announcement. And we talked about last week that we live in a society filled with announcements because social media is there. We make all kinds of announcements all the time about everything from, from being married to getting engaged to having a child to when that child's coming uh, to when that child has his first bowel movement to when, um, to when we go to the bathroom to what we have for dinner for, to, to our favorite places. All this, we're just filled with announcements, which is a really cool thing because in many ways it allows us to know each other more But at the end of the day, there is a most important announcement in our life that sometimes we leave out, and that is the announcement of the gospel. And the word gospel literally means good news. So when you say the gospel, and when we say we're a gospel-centered church, it means we are a church centered on the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news because it changed people's lives. News that changes people for eternity is good. And so that's what the gospel means. Good news. News. So it is about Jesus, it is about his work, it is about what he did for us, it is about what he is doing for us now. So the gospel is the good news that Jesus paid for our sin by dying on the cross and set us free from sin by rising from the grave. And through this, offers us life and a relationship with him. That's what the gospel is. So when you hear the word gospel and you use the word gospel, this is essentially what you're saying. It is an announcement. It is good news of Jesus Christ that he came into this earth, did not have to do that. He did it out of the seed of his love and who he is. Do you realize that that act itself, sending Christ, did not make God loving? Do you realize that, that God was loving even before he sent Christ? It is in his nature. It is in his character. In, in 1 John 4, it says God is love. Like saying God is not love is saying water is not wet. It is, it is all-consuming. It is who he is. But out of his character and out of who he is, he sent Jesus for us to bring glory to God and to save sinners. That's incredible news, isn't it? That's an amazing announcement. You can get some likes on Facebook with that. By the way, did you see uh, somebody in, our, uh, in, in, the, in the group last week put a picture on Facebook holding two puppies? Did you see that? Uh, because I said something about getting likes on Facebook. As long as you have a puppy or a stray baby in your picture, you'll get tons of likes on social media. Yeah, um, but if it's just you, good luck. Um, if you've made an accomplishment, good luck to you. Um, but just as long as you, if you have an accomplishment, pick up a stray dog and then you'll get tons of likes and tons of comments. Um, you would think that if you put an announcement out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or just announced it from, from some high place in a community, and you said, God, out of his character and out of him being all loving, he cannot be not loving. Out of that, he sent his son Jesus to earth. And as Philippians 2 says, he, he gave himself up. He gave up this glorious eternal place in heaven to come to earth to live a sinless life to do these incredible miracles to be exactly who he pronounced and said he would be to die on the cross and then to be raised in victory on the third day and to ascend to heaven and then to make the only proclamation that only he could make through the credibility that he has and say i'm coming back for you if you made that announcement wouldn't you think that you'd get some likes Wouldn't you think you'd get some comments? 
What's interesting is, is that that's what God calls us to be about in our lives as followers of Jesus, is to make announcements about this good news that has changed us. And so that that good news can penetrate the heart and lives of people that we love and people that we know and people that we don't know. So that they can experience this as well and they can have their life changed and they can know this Christ and they can experience his love and his joy and his peace and his hope even when life doesn't offer us that. That's good news. So when we say, man, we're a gospel-centered church, we are a good news-centered church. A good news-centered church on Christ and what he did for us and what he is doing for us even now and what he will do. That in a city, for a city, changes things. I read a, a passage last week in Colossians 1. It says, he has reconciled you and me. He has basically... He has basically taken away God's judgment through him. He's reconciled us to God into that relationship that was meant when God created us through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. Isn't that just a, a, a beautiful picture? So you, the Bible says that we were once lost. We were once estranged. We were once away from God in, in, in this in this really dark place. And the Bible says that through his death, through this good news that he's pronounced about Christ, that he did his finished work, he's brought you back into his presence. And he says something crazy about you and me through Christ. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. What? That is, is it, take a second. Isn't that hard for you to kind of wrap your mind around? I know it is for me because I have a lot of faults. And there's, there could be a lot of blame assigned to my life. But through Christ, he's reconciled us to God in relationship with him and brought us, not only that, but brought us into this relationship, into fellowship, into his presence. It's an amazing thing. It's good news. And he says, Paul says in Colossians, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly on it. So it's not just enough to believe it and have accepted Christ and having placed your faith in him to save you and change you, it is for us to rally around this truth so that we can share it with others. So people can look at our lives and our families and our church and say, you know what, there is something different about them. And there's something that I desire and that I crave. And it's filled with love and compassion. And it's filled with truth. And people desire truth, don't we? I mean, it's political season. Don't you just want a little bit of truth? As much as the truth sometimes hurts, we, we in our souls and in our hearts, we desire it. We long for it. We crave it. We just don't know how to find it. And Christ beckons us to come and to understand and invites us into understanding this truth. And he says, church, people that have known Christ, your life has been changed by the gospel, by the message of Jesus. Um, it's good news Stand firm on it. Rally around it. Be a community that it lifts it up, that announces it, that spreads it, that says it, that expresses it. It's that good. See, if you think about all those things, the gospel of Jesus is such good news that it is available to and powerful for all. So what we just said would it be powerful 
if it wasn't available to and powerful for everyone. It's that good. So the reason why God calls us, not only through changing us through the gospel, calls us to make an announcement about it and to spread this good news is because it is available to everybody. And it has the power to change and save and rescue anyone. That's what makes it good. The good news that is really good applies to all. And good news that is really good as it applies to all is something that is very difficult not to share. As I just said, we all have great news in our lives. Things happen to us that are great. And we like to share that with everyone. Are you like this? I can be annoying and obnoxious with good news. Like I want to just tell all my friends and I want to tell all of my family and I want to tell people that I don't even know. I want to bug people in restaurants and stores and in the marketplace when I have some good news. You ever done this? You had something, you got a promotion at work, something happened, you're having a baby, you got engaged, you're getting married. Uh, it's almost like you can't help it. You see that person you're talking and then it becomes about me. <laughs> oh, just guess what? I'm sorry. I'm getting married. I'm having a baby. Or, hey, you know, man, hey, sounds like you got some stuff going on. Can I tell you about what's going on in my life? I got some good news. It's hard to not share it. This is the greatest news we could ever encounter. It's so good, it's available and powerful for everyone. I mean, don't you want to make that announcement? Don't you feel like sharing that? It's that good. Don't sit on it. And it's free. This was so beautiful about being, I haven't been in this setting in a long time. I pastored a large church for six years. Thank you. It is. And you know what? It's really not hard to give away free stuff, is it? I mean, have you ever, I went to the basketball game the other night with uh, my mom and my brother. And we sat in the rafters and there was no one there because the tip was at nine o'clock. And we're the only idiots in the building. At the end of the game, we're, we're dedicated fans. Um, at the end of the game, they do a thing. Chick-fil-A does a thing called, uh, like, you shoot free throws. And if the opposing team misses two free throws in a row, everybody in the building gets free Chick-fil-A. Have you ever been to a game and experienced this? Terrence, you were there the other night. Wasn't that, wasn't that glorious? Yeah. Because mm. Chick-fil-A is the Christian chicken. And so that just kind of, it's spiritual to go there changes your life. That's the gospel, really. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. It's good news. <laughs> Those Chick-fil-A sandwiches. Um, guys, this, this basketball player for Tennessee went to the free throw line at the end, and he missed two free throws. And you, thought, you would have thought those college students had just been told, and told they could live forever and never age. <laughs> Like it was the most unbelievable eruption of celebration. And then we found ourselves up, up there, a bunch of grown adults, like high-fiving. Yeah, yeah, Chick-fil-A, free. And, it, and I went the next day and got one. And it like, because it was free, it just tasted so good. Oh, it's just, it's not hard to give away free stuff. But oh, it's so hard to tell people about that. This life-changing gospel that's free.
that's been paid for by the blood of Christ. And that is available to all men everywhere and powerful for them to change them. This is kind of what we have in Acts 10, real quick. The Apostle Peter is an interesting little thing. Man, I tell you, if you don't read the Bible, please start reading the Bible. If you know Jesus, you've got to read the Bible. This is God's way of communicating to us. This is how God is revealed to us. This is how he, he shares truth and, and opens things up in our lives. This is how we learn to live for him, is through the scriptures. So don't be afraid of it. Read it. If you read this whole passage, it's fascinating. Peter is um, making a little short trip. He's on a boat. He has a vision where God, like, sends him this, this picture uh, of eating all kinds of animals. Now, remember, in the Jewish tradition, they only ate animals they deemed clean. And, and you had to prepare it a certain way and do it a certain way, or, or it was not lawful. It, wasn't, it was not allowed to do. But Peter gets this vision from God that he's, like, sitting at this table. The Bible says he, it was a sheet. And that, and that all these different types of animals were there, and he was told to eat them. And then, and then he says, well, I'm not supposed to eat things that aren't unclean. And God says to him and to his heart, uh, don't call what I've created unclean. You don't have the determination to, to say this. You're not me. You don't make those determinations of, of who's good and who's not and, and what's, what's appropriate and what's not in this way. I make that call. And so Peter got rocked by this. Really incredibly right as a Jewish guy who had kind of grown up understanding this, knowing this, and even as an adult living this out and, and thinking that if he did eat something that was deemed unclean, that he was not fit and he was not religious and he was not spiritual and he was actually not even welcome in his own community. It's kind of a crazy thought, but he has it. And then after that, he starts thinking about it and, and he starts processing this about what it means and what, it, what it's supposed to look like and everything. And then all of a sudden, these men he's never met coming from this guy named Cornelius, who is an Italian regiment leader. He's not a Jew, but he has believed in the message of Jesus Christ. He's believed the gospel in faith. And, and he feels like God has told him and God tells him to go get Peter and bring him to his house. And so three men show up in this place where Peter is and they say, we don't really know who you are, but we just know you're supposed to come with us and you're supposed to come to Cornelius' house. Peter goes to Cornelius' house. Cornelius has all his friends over and some of his family. While they're there, Peter enters into a house. Remember, not, not supposed to eat anything unclean or deemed unfit for Jews. And they're certainly not supposed to be in a Gentile's house with a bunch of Gentiles and a bunch of people that aren't Jewish eating with them and hanging out with them. This is not supposed to happen in the Jewish tradition. That's why, again, Jesus meeting the woman at the well was such an incredible act of love because not only was he not supposed to be talking to her, he wasn't even supposed to be in the vicinity uh, Jewish people would, would take a 300-mile trek around Samaria just so they wouldn't even encounter a Samaritan. So this was crazy for Peter to do. But the Bible says that Peter entered that house. He ate with them. He expresses what God showed him, that, that, that God's love and his power and his grace and his gospel, the gospel of Christ, trumps, no pun intended, trumps, really trumps, anything in life. And so Peter, being the apostle that he is, 
being the Jewish man that he is, realizes this, sees this, and then stands up after he eats with these people, seemingly something that he's not supposed to eat in a place he's not supposed to be with people he's not supposed to be hanging out with, and says in verse 34, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. So he's in this house where he's not supposed to be eating food that he didn't think he was supposed to eat with people that, it, that he's not supposed to be hanging out with and makes this declaration that God had given him about the gospel and about God's love and says, this is for all. Nobody's better than anybody when it comes to the gospel. And really, God, under God, he shows no favoritism. Clearly, he doesn't see that. And then he goes on, in every nation he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. 36, this is the message of good news. This is the message of the gospel. For the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Incredible, amazing, profound speech. You ever do this at somebody's house when you go to visit? You ever stand up and give a speech? No, we wouldn't do that. It'd be, it'd be sensed as awkward. But Peter gets in this house, and after eating with these people, going there because God brought him there, make no mistake about that, going there because God told Cornelius to invite him there, eats with them, talks with them, and then stands up right after dinner during dessert and says, clearly God shows no favoritism. Clearly that everyone who believes in him and in this gospel, this finished work of Christ on the cross, will be forgiven. And then he drops the mic. Well, really, actually, God interrupted him. The Bible says the Holy Spirit swept through the place and, and began to fill the people that were there and, and some really unexplainable things started happening. So God was like, you've talked enough. It's my turn. I've used you for what I needed to use you for. Let's go back to verse 34. I want you to see this. If you, if you don't see anything else today, I want us to take this away before we leave. When Peter stands up and does this, I've already kind of painted a picture of how, how, how big time this was for him and for the people that were listening to him. But I want you to see this too. In verse 34, it says, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. This word favoritism or partiality, some of you have heard it. This is, big, this is a big deal in our society. 
um, people being shown favoritism, people being shown partiality. Y'all, y'all, there's no doubt you guys have seen it in the workplace. You've seen it in society. We, we, I feel like this is something that is being stirred up in our society in such a way that it is, is drawing dividing lines that, that really do not need to be there and that we need to ask God sincerely to begin to tear away at and to tear those down. And we need to ask God sincerely to help use us in the love of Christ to do that. Uh, we just see it. It's so profound. We see it, uh, we see it in, uh, we even see it in sports. You see it in the media. You see it maybe in your own family. There is nothing worse than feeling slighted by favoritism. If you've ever grown up in a home or you've ever been in a situation where you know and clearly see that someone else is being shown a partiality or being played favorite over you, it is a, almost a soul-stirring rejection. It's difficult to deal with. It's visceral. It, it can sometimes last throughout the whole of your life. I've, I've had some experience with this. And it can affect you at the deepest levels of your life and the deepest levels of your self-worth and your significance and, and, and your identity and who you are. So Peter stands up and proclaims something that God wants him to say. Because as the gospel goes forth, it's just so good that it's available and powerful for all through Christ, that he wants everybody to know now, post his resurrection and post his ascension into heaven, that this gospel plays no favorites. You don't have to have the right parents. You don't have to live on the right side of the street. You don't have to live on the right side of town. You don't have to have the right color on your face. You don't have to have the right status. You don't have to have the right socioeconomic level. You don't have to come from the right, you don't have to pull for Clemson. Right, praise Jesus. You guys awake? Any? I know. It's just I, everybody. I feel everybody's so engaged. This is so awesome. No, it is. It really is. I shouldn't break you up, but really, it gets that crazy. But this is what God is communicating to them through Peter, communicating to Peter himself, who had struggled with it. He and Paul used to argue about it, and he's communicating to us. That this gospel that we say we believe and they say saved us, this finished work of Christ, it's just so doggone good that it has to be for everybody or it wouldn't be that good. And God in his love, because he can't change his character, God in his compassion, God in his mercy, God in his grace, would never, although he used his chosen people, although he selected them and maintained his covenant all the way up to Jesus. And then in Christ, everything was fulfilled. And then past Christ, it's everyone who believes. God in his love, grace, mercy, compassion, would never viscerally say to you through his son and through the cross, I'm favorite. This gospel is not for you. Now, will everyone believe? No, we know that's not going to happen. And we know that doesn't happen. And that's sometimes the, the sad part of this whole thing is people reject Christ. They reject God. Notice I said available to you. Powerful for. And God out of the seat of his character says, there is no partiality. I don't save people because of where they're from. 
I don't save and change people because of who their parents were. I don't save and change people because of what they look like, smell like, act like, or what culture they embrace. I save them because I show no partiality. This word in its context means he is an acceptor of persons through Jesus. Here's the, the last beautiful part that I want you to hear me. I want everyone to hear this. This truth I saw, I had seen this years before in my life. But I saw it again for the first time this week. And it just has moved me to, to a, a greater understanding of who Christ is, who I am, who you are, and who God desires for us to be in the world. Listen to this. When he says he plays no favoritism and he's an acceptor of persons, it actually, in this context and in its original language, means that he accepts and receives your face. He accepts and receives our faces. That's the implication. The, the, the Greek people and the Gentiles that were sitting in that room when Peter said this to where they could understand him, they would have known he meant God no, shows no favorites, plays no partiality, and accepts your face. Accepts where you're from. Accepts who you are. Think about that. Our faces are so important to our identity and to who we are. Do you realize that our faces sometimes can be the reason we're rejected or accepted in this society and among human beings? Do, do you realize that we make statements about our faces all the time? You ever tell your friends that you haven't seen in a long time? I love seeing your face. It was great to see your face. Man, I really would love to see your face. You're talking to them on the phone. You haven't seen them in forever. And when you see them, their face, it does something to us. It pulls at us, our family, our friends, people that we love, people that we want to see. And then it's also a thing that leads us to rejection. I've found myself even saying this in my life. Man, I don't know why that person doesn't like me. Maybe they just don't like my face. And, and I get it. I understand. And isn't that the ultimate bless your heart? You know, I mean, we used to say it's only a face a mother could love. Imagine telling somebody you have a face only Jesus could love. You imagine that? We joke, but there's such a truth in that, you know. We have a face for radio or, oh, we just used this. Oh, I miss your face. I don't like your face. Here's the beautiful thing about our God through the person and work of Jesus Christ and through the pronouncement of what Peter is saying to these people in this room. I am a Jew. You are Gentiles. We don't come from the same place. But yet, because of Christ, because of this God from the seed of his love, grace, and mercy has sent his son Jesus to die and made an announcement through him of good news for us and for all. He plays no favorites. He loves everybody in this room through Christ. He doesn't show partiality and he loves your face. Doesn't matter what tone it has. Doesn't matter what tint it has. It doesn't matter where it comes from. Clearly God loves your face. Isn't that great? So when that truth invades us, I mean, can, can you see where that would change us? 
Can you see where that would change how God could use us in people's lives? Can, can you see where that would change how God could use a group of people in a city? When, when invaded with his love and once through faith experience that, we walk around this city and our jobs in this community and our neighborhoods going, because of Jesus, I love your face. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what you look like. Can't faces be so deceiving? The person that we think is the most standoffish, meanest looking person, they end up being the nicest. You ever done that? You make that snap judgment about somebody because they don't look like you and they might look menacing and the next thing you know, you're talking to them. I've done this. Hey, you ever walked kind of away? And you walk over to the person that looks less threatening and they're mean as they can be. And the person that you kind of walked away from ends up like helping you. We've all done this. It's because we're prejudiced in our hearts. We need Jesus. Because through his example and through Christ, he says, I love your faces. That's why he can say in every nation he accepts those who fear him and does right. He accepts those who, who call out to him, who confess him through faith. He accepts your face. He loves your face. Every nation, every tribe. That was a totalitarian statement saying that universally every person on the face of the earth has a accepted face to God. That's why he can say that there is peace with God through Christ who is the Lord of all. And guys, here's the thing. I've already said this kind of in a way. I'll say it in a different way. If Jesus is the Lord of all, then the gospel goes to all. So the designation that Jesus is Lord of all, then frees us up to the understanding that he plays no favorites and clearly shows no partiality and loves our faces no matter who we are. Therefore, his news, his announcement, his good news, it goes to all. So Peter is reiterating this. And then he's kind of backtracking and he's telling them a story about what Jesus did. He says, Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And so he makes it clear that it was the Holy Spirit's power in Christ in which he went around in his ministry doing good. Don't you want to do good? And what that means there is is that it changes and shapes humanity. Doing good in a society and in a culture. What does that look like for us? Well, with Christ's help and with the Holy Spirit's power, it changes things. And you realize that in Jesus' ministry, he didn't just heal Jewish people. One of the most powerful things that you see, yes, the Samaritan woman, no doubt. Yes, the, the woman, the prostitute who was being stoned. Those are so powerful. The woman with the issue of blood who came up and was bleeding. No doctor could tell her what was wrong with her and she just barely gets the bottom of Jesus' robe, just the bottom of his tassel. And, and, and that God, he felt, he felt a change and he turned around and she was, she was down on the ground. Powerful. What about the centurion? Not only healing his family member, but what about the centurion at the cross? So even in Jesus' ministry, when he was filled with the Spirit, when he was doing good, when his power was shaping and affecting people's lives, he did it not just for the Jews. 
because he loves your face. So you know what? He calls us to do the same thing. To go in our culture, in our city, in our society, to do good, filled with the Holy Spirit and with this beautiful gospel that pronounces to people, hey, God loves your face and because he does, I do too. And that's how he changes things. And he tells us to put it on blast. He ordered us to preach everywhere. Mark 16, it says, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. So everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Everybody. Everybody. I got a friend who was a, a, a football coach that I've known for a long time. He coached for 27 years. And he retired a couple years ago because he has a mess. And um, when he wants to make a point about how, uh, how profound something is or how it applies across the board to everyone, he says to me, this is for everybody. When he does that, I know that this is, this is good. This, is, this applies across the board. The reason why we say we're a gospel-centered church in the city and for the city is because this, this gospel that we claim, this gospel that we rally around, that is truth, it is for all. And so my desire, and, and as we're starting to get to know each other, let me just say this. My desire is that this church we, we value, we say we value diversity that, to where we, we, we want to bless the nations. We want to represent the nations because we believe God loves faces no matter where they're from. And I want to make a declaration to you today. I want this church to be a church like that. I don't want this church to be one that doesn't love its city and everybody who lives in it. And I don't want this to be a church where at any point in our lives and in our ministry and what we're doing here ever communicates anything contrary to what the Apostle Peter stood up in that house and said. Never. In fact, right now I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to ask God to help us never to be guilty of that. I'm going to also ask God to help us get over our humanity. And that is our, our natural bents of prejudice. And our natural desires to just want to hang out with, love, do life with people that look just like us and have the same desires or whatever it may be. We need help there, don't you? I know I do. God, we, we ask you in faith to help us. We, we ask you, God, to fill us with your spirit, even as you did Christ. And Lord, help us do good. Help us to take this incredibly good news, this gospel of Jesus, to our city, so that you, through your power, can transform and change things. Lord, I pray that you'll invade our hearts with your spirit to help change our minds and our attitudes about others. Lord, there might be things in our lives that we have toward our friends, toward our family members, 
much less strangers and people we don't know and that we might be afraid of. Lord, I pray that your love will invade our hearts in such a way that we will be truly able to say as you did and as Peter proclaimed about you that, man, we love faces. You save faces. And I pray that God will live our lives that way and that we'll tell people about Jesus that way, that we will love and serve and help people that way. And I pray, God, as we begin to form as a church, that that'll be something that as we rally around the gospel that that is not compromised, that is not tolerated, that is not allowed, and Lord, that is accountable to, and that you'll correct us when we need it. You'll convict us and shape us as you see fit. We love you, God. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the fact that this good news is just that good, that it is available and powerful for all. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.